Welcome back to the Resus X podcast. We're doing part two of the airway hot seat. This is Dr. Taryn Trot taking people through difficult airway scenarios. As I said last week, it's important that you go watch the YouTube video that's associated with this, but there's lots of pearls to get here if you're walking, driving, doing whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. So I hope you enjoy this part two of the airway hot seat with Dr. Taryn Trot. Uh, same concept as last time. We have three video airways to review. We'll tackle them as a group. So as you guys start to interpret the video, just feel free to chime in. We're going to start with some of the basics. Like, what are we even looking at? Which, you know, unfortunately is what we see in these videos sometimes. So we're going to get started with video number four. And uh, yeah, we can take a look right here. We'll see what we have first. Go ahead. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, so the problem that I'm seeing is when he like, didn't really open up the mouth enough, so he had to displace the tongue. But then if you see as he's going down into the actual oral pharynx, going down to the actual epiglottis, which you see there on the left, my left, at least your left on the screen probably there too, is that he's kind of off or he or she is off access. So when you try to like advance the tube now, you kind of have to take that into consideration where you might not even pass like the tonsils and such, depending on what type of blade you're using. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's wind it back to the beginning real quick here. So we got a nice scissor grip into the mouth, right? It's a nice approach. We'll get hung up on the tongue there a little bit. And then this is here where you're saying we're coming in a little lateral. Is that right? Okay, good. How do you guys feel about this exposure? We can pause here. Sure, what's the dark material around there? That's the uh, other thing I want to consider, but still. It's like I fed you this. Thank you for saying that, everyone. Yeah, so what do you think all that dark material is? Is it could be blood maybe that's just come up or is it some sort of injury? Some chemical mediated injury. Any thoughts? Yeah, I would think maybe like a clot or something, or it could be an obstructing like object that I just can't see yet because maybe my light is not like in the optimal position, but it's, it's soot. Yeah. So this was a inhalation yeah. injury, exactly. which of course kind of like frames how you're going to approach this kind of airway, right? So not only do we have the mechanics of how this person is entering the oral pharynx and the posterior pharynx and how we're getting down to the vallecula but we also have everything that's going to surround a potentially burned airway, correct? So what, is, what are some of the things, say you have a patient coming into the ED that you know they're you know, coming from a house fire or a bonfire. What are some of those things that you're going to do before the patient even arrives? What, what's on your mind when you're approaching that patient? I would probably have a double setup ready. I would call my specialists. I would, if I have them available, I would also have like ready for a crate. Because I mean, these patients like, the timing to intubation is key. Like if you don't like intubate these patients, you'll be like, you know what, I'll wait on it. We'll see how things go. And then literally have horrible oral pharyngeal swelling, the whole epiglottis, you can't even like differentiate anymore. And then you're just like, this is pretty bad, you know? I would also consider there's a lot of swelling around there, especially there's a lot of edema of the glottis and the epiglottis, that area. So I would even keep a crack ready just in case. And also maybe some bougies as well. I would definitely try more than just putting an ED tube, like I would go with the bougie. That's right. So I'm, I'm hearing bougie. Yep. I'm hearing surgical airway, maybe smaller tubes bedside, right? Maybe an airway exchange catheter. You're probably going to get a lot of things ready before this patient arrives. And so I agree, there is some swelling. You can see the swelling of the retinoids even on this slide here. And this is one where you know with that increased vascularity, any kind of additional manipulation is probably going to just start ballooning up. Okay, good. Let's, let's see what happens next. And there again, we're a little off axis, so we can see how the larynx kind of pivots. This is one where you could have the bougie right next to your endotracheal tube with stylet, if that's what you choose. And the moment you take that first peak, 
you could decide if you're not a bougie first person, you could make a pretty quick decision that bougie would have been an excellent choice in this airway. Were we able to get the tube in with the endotracheal tube and stylet? Yes. But is that going to work every single time in this situation? Probably not. Okay. Not a lot of secretions. So probably what helped them get the ET tube in place quick. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's just like a great example to see like, okay, like really have your setup ready. The bougie would have been great just because of how tight the space was. If I was like literally having a lot of resistance too, I would definitely downsize the tri the actual endotube and just kind of think, okay, remain calm. We got time. I'm above 93% on the FBO2. We have time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's see what we have next. Video number five. All right, so tell me what you're seeing here. Is that like a prolapse cord? Like it's coming out towards me or what do I see? As the epiglottis, I can see on top unless it's just so like structured right there, you know? Let's hit pause right there. Yeah. But we're seeing, we're seeing epiglottis, right? We're seeing a lot of redundant soft tissue yeah. kind of falling into our field of view. And what we're also seeing is that hyoepiglottic ligament. Let's hit play just for a second there. You see that structure attached to the epiglottis right towards the hyoid there. And we can see how we're not really engaged. And what happens is that we have this epiglottis fold over, right? It almost looks like a pediatric airway, right? Like an omega airway. What is the moving? You're killing it. You're, thank you. Every question I want you to ask her. So what's going on here? Patient's still conscious. The patient's still conscious. There's not, they're not paralyzed. This again is chest compressions. Okay. So each one of those is the chest compressions. And it kind of gives you insight into, of course, why we find cardiac arrest intubation is more challenging. So what's, what's some of your approach to this patient arriving to the emergency department in cardiac arrest? What are going to be some of your prep, your approach? Are you even intubating? Yeah, I probably would. If we're actively doing cardiac arrest, I probably would not intubate this patient, maybe during a pulse check. But I would just, if I'm bagging them just fine, I wouldn't really do any other invasive options until I kind of get the circulation in check. I just learned the workshop. A couple of hours ago, I would go with an LMA in this case, or, you know, an LMA convert episode a couple hours ago. I like that because of the workshops. There you go. Yes. And what do you think? I, I agree with the LMA. I, I think most of the studies I've read, like an LMA, when you're in this case. It already kind of looks like a difficult airway as well. So I wouldn't waste my time trying to go put an AD tube there. Please LMA. Go ahead. go ahead and hit play. And you can tell that this, this video is now ongoing for another 15, 20 seconds. So if you're the primary operator and you're trying to run a code and perform this intubation, you can easily see how you might be missing the V-fib on the monitor that you should be shocking, right? So this is why I think this, this clip kind of highlights why intubating your arrest is uh, under more scrutiny. So here we have a little bit better engagement of the vallecula and we see how that epiglottis pops open, right? And we're probably going on a minute now where this patient isn't being ventilated and isn't being oxygenated, right? So it's probably not the best choice for this patient. And at some point you make the decision, I think it's time to back out. Any other comments? We move on to our next video. Video number six. And let's pause here. Was this like an epi epiglottitis kind of case? I mean, it's pretty swollen, the epiglottis. Really the whole, the whole oral airway is like very, very swollen. So this one, I mean, this is when I would definitely want like a double setup for this essentially. I mean, it's always like the context of the patient, right? You're like, is this a traumatic case? Is this an infectious case? You know? Humor, there's bleeding, there's other thing you want to consider. I mean, looks acute though in this case, but especially if I'm kind of seeing a lot of friable tissue that bleeds, I would consider does a patient have a tumor or something? Absolutely. And we're seeing that the tonsils, as we had approached, are edematous. So maybe there's something going on there. There's clearly a lot of blood. And is it from a tumor? Is it from trauma? 
We don't know, of course, in this situation. Let's go ahead and play and see what happens next. One of the challenges here, we can pause there, is that we have that tongue, right? And all that lateral soft tissue that's really kind of folding underneath, right? And so I think you hear a lot of debate on about going down the middle versus sweeping the tongue. This is one where losing control of the tongue is obscuring some of our view and would definitely affect our passage of a tube. Let's go ahead. Yeah. And there we see pivoting on the high lig ligament. We get exposure, but we're not getting great exposure. Go ahead. I would definitely think of bougie. Those, if you're going to make that at all. Yeah. That's I'd probably pull back a little bit too. I feel like if you're doing this with video, you have like less than a third of like the inferior aspects. So you kind of want to optimize it a little bit more, especially if you're using like a hyperangulated blade. So let's back up about 10 seconds there because I think you predicted the future there. We have the bougie coming into view. We have the tip of the endotracheal tube just posterior or what looks like inferior on the screen, but posterior to the retinoids, right? So when we see the endotracheal tube come in, it's just not getting anterior enough, right? So of course, that's, that's great opportunity for the, right? We can actually bend the bougie more anterior to really get in there. But it's identifying that our, the curvature of our stylet is not going to match the geometry of the airway, right? Identifying that early and then switching over to bougie. Still having some trouble. See those ulcerations on the epic plots there? Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know. I think it was the, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was a GI bleed. Maybe it was a trauma. It's very hard to tell. Yeah, hard to tell. Now that endotracheal tube slid over the bougie pretty well, right? And that doesn't always happen especially if you don't have a nice linear path for the endotracheal tube to follow. If you have any kind of flexion of the neck, you can often find the endotracheal tube kind of hanging up on the retinoids as you're passing a little bit of a turn can help. Okay, great. Any last thoughts? We'll wrap it up there. Anything you can use to kind of help with the, you know, sliding the tube over the bougie, like lube or something? I mean, absolutely some lube is a yeah. great idea. Yeah. I think a little twisting action can help a lot. I've seen people mess around with McGill's, but I don't think that's necessarily the right choice. I don't think that's the right choice. Yeah, very good.